The way we pay is changing dramatically. But what's driving this payments transformation? Our third annual Payments Pulse Survey Consumer Edition finds younger Canadians aren't settling for traditional payment methods, as 70% say they are willing to move away from cash in favor of other forms of payment, compared to 62% of all Canadians. From automatic and invisible payments to apps for tracking spending, our study shows that millennials and Gen Z want easier, more convenient options to meet their needs. According to the Payments Pulse survey, 73% of 18 to 34-year-olds are more likely to choose a retailer online based on how easy it is to check out. They are more likely to make a spontaneous purchase because their payment data is stored within an app or online. And they prefer to use ride-hailing apps rather than a taxi because the payment process is simpler. Overall, our survey shows that the younger generation is driving the movement for innovative payment technologies and a modern payment system. Hi, I'm Justin Farabee, Chief Operating Officer at Payments Canada and your guide on the PayPod podcast, which examines all aspects of Canada's ambitious payments modernization mission. We're joined today by Sue Britton, the Chief Executive Officer of FinTech Growth Syndicate, by Alvin Chan, Payments Innovation Lead, Digital and Innovation at Ravel by CF, and Personal Finance Journalist Rubina ahmed Haq. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Justin. Nice to be here. The Payments Pulse survey highlights a generational shift to move modern payment methods and a shift away from carrying cash. This certainly isn't surprising to any of us. Younger generations who have grown up with the convenience of technology are going to want to see that flow through every aspect of their lives and may feel frustrated when convenience isn't available. Let's start our conversation with the pain. What do you find frustrating? What are the things that are your pet peeves around payments? Uh, personally, I find it frustrating when I have to re-enter data. So if I've already purchased something at a retail establishment and I've put the credit card information there, um, and then if I go there again and they want me to re-enter it. So if I'm doing it from home, I know it's safe. I know my credit card information is safe. Um, and so I want to do it quick. I know that from a personal finance perspective, that quick shopping is probably not something I should promote. But just from a personal, you know, being a mom of two and having a busy life, I put stuff in the basket. I just want to check out and I don't want you to make me go back and enter data again. So I know some of that has to do with me saving it on my computer, but sometimes, you know, re-logging in or asking for more information, I find that quite frustrating. And, and whatever, you always have to put something more in. You have to put a postal code or your card number or something and it just never seems to be all there. Yeah. And I mean, we can now pay for purchases like a point of sale purchases just by tapping. I feel like there should be a easy way to pay um, in the comfort of our home in the same way. Um, I know that that technology may not exist yet, but, um, you know, when I go to the mall, I can just tap, tap, tap and pay. But when I'm at home, I've got to put in like my address and my name and my all this kind of information that um, I feel like should they should have it stored already as a credit card holder. That kind of that kind of frustrates. That actually brings up my biggest pet peeve, which uh, has, I think, been solved by somebody, which, you know, dare I say PayPal. I have my own feelings about PayPal from a business perspective, but as a consumer, you'd actually, if you enable PayPal OneTouch, you don't have to do all that. In fact, you can shop online at wherever you want. And when you go to pay by PayPal OneTouch, it already knows who you are, where you live, your address and all that kind of stuff. And it's definitely becoming my go-to just because to your point, right? It's a pain in the ass to um, put your, all your information in there. I don't know what you guys think, but it's, it's, uh, definitely for me, convenience is huge. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, you know, just the, the example, Rubini brought up about, you know, shopping at the mall and 
um, you know, not not having those merchants have contactless. You know, I'm a serial Apple Pay user, and I, I love that convenience, and I love you know just one hand, you know, being able to make those purchases and and you know checking the other phone on the other hand, <laughs> and um, but yeah, and, and it just even from observing people who kind of haven't bought into that. I mean, that's a pet peeve of mine. It's not my own activity, but it's rather the other people who are still paying with cash at Tim Hortons, for example, or they're actually um, inserting their card uh, you know, at the point of sale when clearly they could have tapped the card. Yes, uh, I do uh, notice all those I'm details. one of those guys. <laughs> the, <laughs> I don't want to be in line behind <laughs> We were talking about cash yesterday, actually, and, and there was a few bankers in the room and, and the, the conversation came up about, and they were talking about notes. And I said, um, can you just like tell me what the definition of a note is? And they're like, oh, a note is actually cash, but it's a banker term. So it's even like, and I'm old, so I can't even claim to be in the in the target market we're talking about. But um, I don't think that ca- I think cash is is definitely becoming one of those things that's rarely in anybody's wallet. Yeah. And I mean, I, we, I take your point about the frustration, but you each are saying, oh, well, I use this, I use that. But it's very fragmented. So I use tap, but sometimes tap isn't working or stuff. So I got to carry my card and I got to carry whatever. And PayPal is great, but something sometimes it doesn't take PayPal or something. So you always have to have resiliency and. Like I still get cash when I travel just because I never know where I'm going to be or what I'm going to have to have. And it's almost a backup for me. But it just feels like there's so many different things to your point that the retailer is trying to be convenient for cash, for tap, for everything. And it just slows everything down almost. Right. And with the advent of all these new technologies and other experiences that other industries provide, you know, the customer. And I think there's the common theme of consumer behavior, consumer expectations just keep evolving that. You know, tap is not good enough. Um, you know, why, why can't I just walk out of the store uh, with with the stuff that I wish to purchase? Why do I have yeah. to talk to anybody? Why do I have to stand in a uh, kiosk to be able to self-checkout? That, it's that's actually, work for me. I mean, yeah, no, it's a great point because, you know, you go walk by Zara or Uniqlo or any of those stores and the lineups are so mm-hmm. long that you almost wonder, you know, like, is it worth, is it yeah, worth even time, going yeah. in there? You right? feel tired. Eh? You're like, yeah, oh, it's like, oh, <laughs> I don't want to stand in line and wish I could just go somewhere and do my, I don't know, mobile checkout or something like that. So do, would you say, so what we're hearing here is that people are making buying decisions basing, based on the payments, how they pay. Is that true for you? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I, if, if I see a big lineup, like you just mentioned, I'm not going to buy anything. Uh, if I like something, I'll go home and order it online. Uh, very rarely will I subject myself to a 20-minute line to buy yeah. you know, a clearance dress that I just happened to pick up. That used to be the motivator, right? You would go and everything would be really cheap. And so you'd be motivated to stand in line because you want to save money. But that no longer is the case because you can easily get those items online. Um, and why waste 20 minutes? And if I can just add one more thing, like when you take it beyond just shopping to, you know, paying for, let's say, renovations, right? And it's over your e-transfer limit. That's frustrating. Oh, yeah. That is so frustrating. Over a certain amount. Yeah. Which we got into this problem when we, because we're in the process of buying a house. So you have to transfer large sums of money. And it's clear that the money is in the bank account. It's just transferring it from one account to the next. And you've got to do it in three transfers because they just won't allow it to happen. That's super frustrating. I think the point is that it's almost like the friction. So we know friction creates innovation. Right. Um, Because it's, you know, there's a pain. And so you want to solve for that. But I think the issue is that the bar is being set pretty high now by 
companies that are bringing technology to the market that is, you know, more convenient and, you know, no friction promotes adoption and usage. And so you can't rely on people just sticking with you because they like your brand or they want your product or they, you know, frankly, feel trust in your financial institution, right? Because we're all, we're all busy people and we're just going to go find the path of least resistance. Yeah. And I think to your point, we're seeing examples where, you know, it's, it's not only about the, the discount or the sale or how, mu- how much money you will save, mm-hmm. um, but rather, you know, am I going to save 20% off my purchase or actually save 20 minutes, um, you know, not standing mm-hmm. in line. And I think more and more customers are choosing the, hey, I'd rather save that time. So it's uh, it's frustrating for us. It must be difficult for retailers. Can you tell us what their experience is with all the different changes and how they serve customers or what they care about? Or You know, for the most part, I think, you know, especially here in downtown Toronto, the ability to be able to, you know, tap your car, tap your phone is, is mostly there um, within, you know, major urban shopping center. Um, so I think, you know, that from that perspective, they've certainly, you know, I'll say caught up, but I also want to... You know, say that's more table stakes in in this day and age, um, and we do see uh, some retailers sort of evolving beyond that to cater to certain uh, you know customer demographics. I'll use um, you know AliPay and WeChat Pay as an example of retailers and the more I guess forward thinking retailers uh, accepting those directly at their sort of stores to capture the the Chinese tourist uh, market, which is you know can be quite lucrative um, and to to them. And so, but otherwise, uh, you know, we haven't seen the advent of, say, cryptocurrency payments yet mm-hmm. at the store level. But hey, who knows, um, you know, how quickly that might come on. So we're, we're talking about our own experience with friction and the frustration with that and the fragmentation of the payments. And we hear that it's also difficult for retailers to try and navigate all of that. And we're driving out friction. The goal is to, to drive out friction. But there is another side. And you raised this just briefly that mm-hmm. maybe if you take out friction, people spend too much, too much. And right. often online payments are forced to be credit card payments. So convenience ends up being a credit card payment. And if it's too easy, maybe you're not keeping track of it. You're not, maybe you're not managing it. So we've often heard people say, well, I need the friction to manage my, my finance here. It gives me that moment of pause that says, what is this? Or, you know, I take out $300 cash when I'm done, I'm done. And then I, I can do that. Do you have any, any views on that? If there's a, a role that friction has in financial management? So yeah, the easier you make it to buy anything, the more likely people are to buy. Uh, you know, it, And to forget they bought something. Exactly. Yeah. And credit cards have two problems. One is that they're super easy to use. And secondly, the rewards. So often people are chasing, you know, whether it's airline rewards or grocery rewards or what cashback people are are often shopping because there's a rewards day or you get that sort of, you know, they say they get that dopamine, like all of a sudden you feel good because I got 20 times the points today. And so I really caution people to A, use your credit card as a tool, not as a resource. Um, so we have to use that uh, tool, but to make sure that we, you know, when we are spending money on the credit card, that you have the money in the bank, that you know that you can pay it at the end of the month and in full, because credit cards are great to, for convenience, but they're very expensive. I mean, I talk a lot about compound interest being, you know, in the favor of young people who save, but what about compound interest on the other side of debt? It's just, exa- it's exactly the same thing. All of a sudden you're, $100 purchase is costing you 175 200 even more so if you continue to hold on to it. So I guess my answer is, is that know the power of the credit card and understand that, you know, there's countless studies out there that show that we spend more when we spend with plastic and even more so Apple Pay and every, the, the more distance you make between the, the pain of taking the money out of your wallet, uh, the more easier it is to overspend. Mm-hmm. I think this is actually a good segue to talk about challenger banks. 
Cause I think talent like, and fintechs in general, cause, um, I think that's where fintechs are really starting to take hold in terms of, you know, um, you know, you take someone like uh, stack or coho or really, well, I mean, there's dozens of them in Canada where built into your banking experience are, you know, those, um, financial management tools. Whereas, you know, with our traditional banks, we still have to opt in to use a budgeting tool or use something. I mean, I think I did connect mint or something like that, you know, to my personal account. And I get the emails every once in a while that say, um, is it, is it true you've spent $0 this week? Because somehow it's gotten yeah, no, disconnected. No, no, no. <laughs> definitely not true. But like, I think the fintechs are solving a problem around, you know, financial inclusion and I think financial literacy and financial management. It's not the be all and end all, but that I think is where we could, you know, I mean, the problem I think is that consumers don't know, they don't know about fintechs or challenger banks, right? So, um, and so they have to find them. That's the other issue. Now, if we transition a bit here, so we talk about uh, the fragmentation, the friction and the innovation that's coming in. And uh, all of this is on the consumer or on the retailer to try and figure it out. What about open banking? What about the, the future? What's coming next? And what do we have to look forward to? Well, I, I mean, I think open banking is, is an inevitable, right? It's, it's inevitable because banks in different parts of the world are already, you know, pro, I guess, complying with regulations to open up um, to allow customers, their customers to share their data with other financial institutions or what have you. But I think the, the point of open banking is really um, to put the, the choice in the customer's hands around what to do with their data, right? And it becomes their data to own. And when they want to go and, you know, open an account with another bank, um, they can do that more easily or they can see both their bank accounts, you know, if they have multiple bank accounts, see them in one place. I think that's just the tip of the iceberg, though, because, you know, as a customer, now that we're becoming so digital, I think being able to actually manage all of our apps and, you know, different ways we transact and everything in one place, which open banking in theory should allow, right? Because there's this, you know, for hopefully the people that are listening, APIs, it's not a foreign term, but, you know, this ability to kind of uh, integrate different apps into sort of this one place where I see everything would be nirvana, right? You'd see your your you know budgeting tool doesn't have to be from your bank, your multiple bank accounts, your you know wealth account, your maybe your accounting app, your you know if you have a small business or so I think open banking is the opportunity to create a platform. Platformification, it's just this idea that we all are going to eventually see our phones as platforms, mm-hmm. platforms and gateways to other stuff. What do you guys think? I mean, to echo, yeah, Sue's comments. Yeah, it's just it's just about putting that control back into the consumer's hands. I think, you know, in this day and age, there's so much data that one generates. You know, if I think about the social sphere and, and all of that data, it's, it's, your, it's your own. Like, you control it. You do what you want with it. You share it. You choose who to share it with uh, or not. Um, so why shouldn't that be for all my, you know, financial transaction data to, at the end of the day, create more utility for uh, and, and value to myself? Um, as a consumer? I think 
young people especially are a little bit tired of having to be loyal to one financial institution. And that, of course, creates those problems where like if you're applying for a mortgage and you've got an investment account here and a checking account there and some other stuff going on. So to bring that all together and make it one big profile is difficult. And so that's one problem I think open banking will solve is that, of course, it'll all be on one platform. And the other thing is nothing is more frustrating when you think you're taking money out of one place and you realize you took it out of the wrong place and you pay a fee here. And it's because you couldn't see it all together. And so if, you know, if you had just known that this is where the money is supposed to come out of because it's all on one page, you wouldn't have made that mistake. You wouldn't have. I mean, I have a whole huge problem with bank fees as it is. And we're overcharged in so many ways for very simple things that, you know, in Europe, especially, for example, you can go to any bank machine and get money out without any fees. Why has that not happened here? It's been I lived there 20 years ago. 19 years ago. And I remember the first thing I realized is that you can go to any bank and you don't have to pay a fee to get money out. So things like this, we haven't caught up. But so we we try to organize our finances so that we pay the least amount of fees and get the most return on our investment. But if we can't see it all in one place, it's very hard to do. And I don't want to be just a customer of TD Bank or just a customer of RBC in order to benefit from that one page view. So Yeah. And it's interesting because I think the 18 to 34 year olds, um, maybe the higher end of that will will have already, you know, gotten used to the fact that they have to go to one of five or 10 banks in Canada and possibly go into a branch and possibly talk to somebody. Um, but those younger ones, um, like I don't actually, I don't see them doing that. And if they, if because they're digital uh, natives, right, they truly grown up with like digital um, everything, I I think they will they will be the ones to start to try and find a way to get you know a solution that doesn't require them to have to go to those banks. But the problem is, like, would you? I don't know what you guys think, but I'd be interested in your views about uh, Rubina about you know this whole issue of financial management because, um, like, what is the actual solution if the end consumer user has to actually even have the realization that they should manage their money in a different way, right? Like what is the thing that is really going to help us improve our financial lives, right? Like instead of it being, you know, something that we have to stumble upon or realize when we're 50, not that I'm well, yeah, I'm 50, but you know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like it's sometimes it's, it's we do confessions here. So well. yeah, well, it's just too late when you do realize that, oh, sh- you know, I was supposed to be saving money. I was supposed to be, I don't have enough for retirement, whatever, whatever. Right. Like, and so how do you can, I mean, there's a couple of problems there. One is I think we're a very closed banking society in Canada. Um, so there's very little openness, right. To be able to actually go and, easily find other solutions, but also, you know, that is that kind of almost like made worse by the fact that, you know, we're not managing our money properly. I don't know if you can find my question in there, but. (laughs) So I think there's (laughs) like in last 20 years, a few things have happened. One, it's so complicated to invest money. There are so many products and so many different ways that you can invest your money. There's so many registered accounts. There's TFSA, RSP, RESP, and, and there's so many different places where you can put your money. Um, taxes are getting more and more complicated. So people are trying to do so many things at once. So I think getting back to basics, simplifying the process is probably number one. I mean, 1980s, 
uh, our savings rate in Canada was about 20%. So if I made a dollar, I saved 20 cents. And now it's less than 2%. And I know a lot of that has to do with low interest rates because people have no incentive to actually go and save money. But you know, whenever you go back in time, um, no one was using their savings account to invest for retirements. All, people were always using um, something a little bit more sophisticated. Now we just have too much choice. So simplifying, I think, the, the message of what you should be investing in, like going back to like that 1980s example, we kind of have to get back to basics and teaching people pay yourself first, choose simple products that you understand. Don't go to a financial advisor and say, tell me what to do. Go to a financial advisor, say, this is the research I've done. I'd like to get your opinion on that as well. That would, I think, would be step number one. Okay, so the research we did said that the younger generation is leading the way in Canada in many ways, starting with convenience as being the primary driver. And there was a secondary piece in the research about wanting better and more information. We talked about the, the frustration and the fragmentation of payment systems from a user perspective, a consumer, as well as at the retail side. We talked about what's possible in the future about some of this complexity coming together or maybe getting more complex with open banking. I'm not sure. But what I'm going to ask you now to give us a view of the future, your level of optimism or what would be a perfect outcome or in a turbulent time. Time. What comes out the other end on this? Your prediction, perhaps, is a better one. Your prediction for what's going to happen in five years. You have one minute. All right. Well, uh, I, I'd say, you know, if you think back to, um, you know, scene from like Minority Report back, and it's hard to believe that it was like 2002 is when that movie came wow. out, right? 17 years ago. Uh, and kind of the future they predicted. I mean, hey, that's, that's here now. And I kind of just wanted to highlight the, the fact that, you know, Tom Cruise is walking through, you know, and everything kind of recognizes him. And so we're seeing that today already, right? With, with as I talked about, you know, things like Amazon Go and sort of uh, just just Go kind of payments. I'd say, yeah, my utopia is, is more use of biometrics uh, to be able to, to create frictionless experiences, more use of, uh, I'll say, mobile POS, which everybody has in their hands as they walk around the mall, which is your own mobile phone. Uh, making more utility out of that to be able to, whether it's scanning things on your own or being able to to recognize and, and just to be able to uh, walk out the store. Um, and I think just, you know, it's maybe not for me, but, you know, we've seen the great advent of social commerce, right? Uh, and more people hanging around in the Instagrams and the Twitters and the Facebook environments and being able to really just shop from there. Right? And I think that's going to be the new uh, area to watch in terms of where commerce is really going to be taking off. Okay, well, I'm going to not be a realist because you said nirvana, right? Um, so I, in an ideal world, I think in five years, we have a radical transformation in the way we transact. And I think we, um, I think it will be pl a platform-based um, solution, meaning like, you know, not, I won't necessarily, and uh, I choose, I should choose my words more carefully, but I won't necessarily care who that who the financial brand is that I'm using. I will care more about being able to do everything I can digitally, um, which requires a whole host of things for us in Canada to fix. But um, I guess um, from a Nirvana standpoint, I would prefer that not be from Amazon or somebody like, you know, like that, who um, means probably that, you know, domestically we have a challenge with, some of our Canadian 
you know, homegrown tech and stuff ever, ever seeing the light of day. So I know that sounds kind of a little bit negative, but, um, but I, I do think that, you know, that is what our future is. And, and then by then I suspect we're going to need a whole lot of solutions to help us manage our digital decisions. Right. Cause we're, we, this is, I do agree that like, cause I'm a bit of an online shopper that, um, it's so easy that how quickly we'll be able to get ourselves in trouble will be, you know, exponentially bigger five years from now than it is now. Yeah. That's what I think. As a personal finance journalist, I think my nirvana would be is that we're using tech to save as much as we possibly can. I think technology has now allowed us to spend and get things very quickly. Uh, but now I would like to see technology move towards where if I walk into a store, I know I'm getting the best deal in that area. If I invest in something, I know that this is the best product for me based on all the information they've gathered about me and that I'm making it with confidence because the, the technology has sort of brought all those that information together and proven to me that that's the best decision. The worst feeling is when you book an airline ticket and then you know the guy beside you paid $100 less to the gal beside you. So I want to take that out. I think, every, you know, sort of democratize the whole system. And so we're all getting the best deal at the time we make that purchase. It's different, of course, if you do things two, three months later because the market's changed. But at that time, you're getting, you're getting the best deal. And I think technology can allow you to do that. Love it. Well, thank you for your optimism and your engagement. And we will look forward to seeing this realized in our payment system. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks for having you. Thank you. It was fun. Thank you all for joining me today to discuss consumer payment preferences and your insights into the future of payments. As always, the PayPod is available for download on your favorite podcast app or payments.ca. Join the conversation online using hashtag modern payments. That's all the time we have for this episode, but please join us next time for season two as we continue to delve into the world of payments.